It's now 9-11, or 7-7. People remember exactly where they were when they heard of the attacks on the World Trade Centre in New York, or on the underground in London. Before that, it was Lady Diana. People could tell you where they were when they heard that Lady Diana had died in Paris. Before that again, and for a whole generation, it was JFK. When someone told you where they were when they heard Kennedy had been shot, they opened a door to the Ireland of 1963 for you. Everybody had a picture of him in their house. Nearly under the sacred hat lamps, you know, the, the Pope and JFK went hand in hand. John F. Kennedy and his wife, and geez, that was a photograph in the lot house. About uh, 50 uh, years ago, an Irishman from New Ross uh, traveled down to Washington with his family. And in order to tell his neighbors how well he was doing, he had his picture taken in front of the White House and said, uh, this is our summer home. Uh, Come and see us. Well. Do you remember where you are and what you were doing? at the time of JFK's assassination? I do very well. I was on the underground train in London. Yeah, I do remember, yeah. I was in a flat in 100 Lower Ratmines Road in Ratmines. I was filling some petrol at Tracy's filling station in Tumgraney. I was sitting at home with a baby on my lap. 50 years on, it seems the only thing to have happened on November 22, 1963, was the death of John F. Kennedy. Of course that's not true. It was just the day that the world's gaze turned towards Dallas. In Ireland, it was tea time when the news came through. Almost a full day had already been lived here. It was a Friday, just like this year. An ordinary Friday for most. But for some, it was a Friday that was special and extraordinary in their own lives. So when the rest of the world is remembering the Kennedy assassination on November 22nd, there are Irish people who will be marking the date for their own reasons. In Kerry, Friday 22nd of November 1963 started early and badly, very badly, for the O'Sullivan family in Bonan. Stevie O'Sullivan's older siblings were awoken in the early hours by voices downstairs and they got out of bed to see what was going on. The children were looking down over the stairs, you know, they heard all the commotion in, in the house. I think they thought that um, there was uh, somebody home from America or something, you know. My, some of my uncles or aunts were due to come home around that time, I think, and uh, they thought they were after arriving and that was all the commotion, you know. Um, but unfortunately it wasn't, you know. Those downstairs were distressed neighbours. Stevie's mother and grandmother had gone out earlier on the tractor and hadn't come home. My, my uh, grandmother, uh, mother and grandmother were killed in a tractor accident right here. Stevie is on a dirt track and he's pointing down a steep drop into a field below. Yeah, they'd have um, left the, the house up here. They were going to a neighbour's house playing, playing cards. The tractor was the only uh, mode of transport that 
time there wouldn't have been we wouldn't have had a car and um I think my mother was only after learning how to drive maybe 12 months before that you know uh, for some reason they they went off the road here with the tractor and the tractor t turned over on them yeah and there was no uh, safety cabs or roll bars at that time so uh, they were trapped underneath the underneath the tractor so it um any time we'd hear of, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy and, uh, you know, that date, of course, it had a very close connection. Because, uh, you know, very hard, and obviously, and my father and all, he lost his wife and his mother in the one, the one day. The day John F. Kennedy's life ended was the day Stevie O'Sullivan's new life began. There was seven, seven children, yeah, at the time. My older sister next to me, Patricia, and myself, we were um, taken in by another family just a couple of miles down the road. That we actually, the, the lady, she, she'd have been a first cousin of my mother's. So we were reared there, yeah. The family I was with were very good. I was, I was very lucky, I, you know, uh, very nice, very nice people. There was no amazing, there was obviously no mobile phones or anything at that time, but I know my aunt in Kinmare, and who would be a sister of my mother's, and my aunt in Galway, both heard it on the radio in the morning, can you imagine? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, they weren't contacted, you know, there was no, no... And did they have the names on the radio? They had the names on the radio in the morning, yeah. Different times, different times. On the same radio station, Radio Aaron. Just after the breakfast news carried word of the death of the O'Sullivan women in Kerry, Larry Gogan, DJ, was doing his sponsored programme. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you And he had something to talk about. That Friday was another good day in the new pop music scene. Particularly for the Beatles. Their first album was still in the charts. Please Please Me had been in the charts from May right up to November. The day that uh, President Kennedy was uh, assassinated, their Beatles' second album was released. It was uh, with the Beatles. It went straight to number one the next week. The music charts in Ireland on the day JFK died was a snapshot of the best new pop music. From bands with mop-top haircuts, drainpipe trousers and winkle-picker shoes. The great thing about, about that year that, that I remember was that it was the year of Brendan Boyer. See, t today our, the charts here in Ireland were kind of like a reflection of the UK charts. But, but then the show bands were very big and the show bands were, were, were becoming very big. And Brendan Boyer was a sensation right throughout the country. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Other people were Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Uh, Roy Orbison and Blue Bayou was a big hit and, and also Jerry and the Pacemakers and I Never Walked Alone was in the charts for a long time at that time. Cliff Richard was around, Elvis Presley was around and of course the Beatles. While Larry was on air before nine in Dublin, it was the early hours of the morning in Texas. An ordinary Friday for most people in Ireland, but for journalists, dignitaries and Kennedy fans in Texas, it was a bit more special. The golden couple, Jack and Jackie, were about to start day two of their visit to the Lone Star State. They were due to arrive in Dallas. 
Okay, let's get through this and we can all get back to work. Now, the, the route of the presidential motorcade through Dallas. From the airport, the presidential motorcade will proceed to Mockingbird Lane, then to Lemon and on to Turtle Creek. Turning it was four months since his visit with his wife Jacqueline to Ireland. In the interim, they'd suffered a family tragedy. Now, this is the First Lady's first public outing since the death of their baby in August. The crowds hoping to get a look at her are expected to be large. I feel so bad I got a worried mind. Mid-morning in Ireland, and those who had the time got to read the day's paper. No, no, I'm grand, I'm grand, I'm grand. I just have a cup in my hand, I'll sit down here with the paper. If you were sitting reading the paper on that Friday morning, some of the stories were run-of-the-mill. But there were some surprises. One came from Rome. I see the bishops in Rome have decided that there's to be no more Latin mass. <laughs> Whatever next. And there were stories familiar to us now. Fewer in housewives' tax march. Listen to this. Tax marches. Yesterday's parade by Dublin housewives protesting against the turnover tax. And strike ballots. The Provisional Executive Committee of the Dublin City Busman's... Of course, there would be pictures of that time. They're nearly finished Liberty Hall. About time. It'd be like Manhattan. We'll have America at home, huh? Of course, the morning papers on Friday the 22nd were printed too early to have the story of the Kerry tractor accident. The accident in which a young mother of seven and her mother-in-law were killed when their tractor went into a field. And in fact, there was more bad news in the parish later in the day. This is actually uh, where my mother and grandmother have been to now. Members of our family. Stevie O'Sullivan is in the local cemetery with his friend Danny O'Connor. I remember I was just seven and I came up here early before the funeral came up. And I never seen a bigger grave. Yeah, yeah. It was double. Do you remember that JFK died? I do, yeah. I remember hearing it on the radio. They were playing cards back at our shop. They used to always play cards there, yeah. All the neighbours, yeah, come for their messages. And play the cards and go home then. It was a big deal that time because it was only the previous June he had come to Ireland. And do you remember having heard about the O'Sullivan women? Yeah, I was going to school. And this Tom Riley from Garrymore. He's buried over there. He was going down with his pony and cart. And he told us, and he gave us a lift in the pony and cart of the tragedy that happened up in Ishk the night before. It was on the radio. He heard it on the radio. It is said, you know, just going away from that, that in this graveyard, and I'm sure other graveyards, that there'll be three funerals, always three funerals. You know, if there's one funeral, there's three die in the, in the area are buried in the cemetery, you know. But when my mother died, Denny's mm -hmm. grandmother mm -hmm. was the other one. As she a, died the same time as JFK. Yeah. I remember very well. It all happened together, yeah. She's buried right there. She used to buy us chocolate when she used to get the pension. She used to love plain dairy milk chocolate. And we'd get the chocolate anyway. And uh, we used to tell her there was no... Plain chocolate, there was only a hole in it. 
because she'd pick out all the nuts out of the chocolate in them. <laughs> and we'd eat them. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be up on the sideboard. The nuts left for somebody to eat, the first one up to grab them. But you had the shop? We had, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you could have ordered in plain chocolate for Well, her. we could, but she... <coughs> that was the way. But she died anyway, I remember we were in school and we were all about home. The very same time now as Jeevy's grandmother and mum were killed and JFK was shot, yeah. All happened in a day or two. Yeah, and like I said, I was up here early and that was the biggest grave I ever saw in my life. That Of course, I was small and the whole looked bigger then. And they were buried side grave. by side then, yeah. It was my cousin, Sean Connor Duggar. We're nearly at the stage when we know more inside the graveyard now than we do outside. <laughs> Danny O'Connor and Kerry may have got the morning off school because of his grandmother's death, but elsewhere in the country, on the day JFK died, there were children out of school because they were trying to get into the workforce early. I was working in a slaughterhouse. I was only a young fellow, but I used to be in the slaughterhouse all the time. You know, I used to be hanging around there and they'd give me an old job for the day. What age were you? Thirteen. Where that supermarket is now, there was one of the biggest bacon factories in Ireland. We could see the pigs getting slaughtered from the roadside. You know, you could look in through the window at the pigs getting slaughtered. So you'd be watching them like from the time you'd be about 11 or, or 10, you know. Different young fellas used to get into different slaughterhouses. They'd throw your brush, you know, sweep up that or sweep up that. And you wouldn't get any money for it. They'd give you a few sausages. It's just something to do, just a just way of passing time, you know. Midday in Ireland, and it's 6am in Texas. JFK was getting up early. This was the second day of a trip that was part of a lead-in to the 1964 presidential campaign. And he was also pushing one of his pet projects, the space programme. In every phase of human endeavour, it is a time for pathfinders and pioneers. Frank O'Connor, the Irish writer, tells in one of his books, How as a Boy, he and his friends would make their way across the countryside. And when they came to an orchard wall, that seemed too high and too doubtful to try and too difficult to permit their voyage to continue. They took off their hats and tossed them over the wall and then they had no choice but to follow them. This nation has tossed its cap over the wall of space and we have no choice but to follow it. Saturday's papers would be full of the Kennedy assassination but on the Friday, his Frank O'Connor speech was a small story in the Irish press. President Kennedy yesterday quoted the Irish writer Frank O'Connor while defending his space program. Mr. Kennedy, who was speaking in San Antonio, Texas at the start of a two-day tour of the state. By God, John F. is some man. <laughs> That's a great story. New search for Sodom and Gomorrah. A British archaeological expedition is to make fresh attempts next month to locate the two biblical cities 
of Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, but God, they'll have it here in Dublin City. They used to call, they used to call the Gay Theatre Sodom and the Abbey Theatre Begara. For obvious reasons, I think. Electronic dispenser for beer. Well, I'll tell you, there'll be, be queer demand for that around here. One o'clock. It's now five hours away from JFK's death. Lunchtime in Ireland. Although in 1963, in the factory city of Waterford, it wasn't called lunchtime. Well, we used to call it, we used to call it our dinner then. And we'd, we'd have a lovely dinner, maybe a stew, with a few chucks out, out, out of um, Bridgie Weldon. It's a bit beautiful. And the meals would be falling off of Mowing Bridgie Weldon, it'd be lovely. you get tails and handles and everything. I was working in the second bag company, Watts's. The company lived in Denny's Lane, but it was a second bag company. We used to do bags for everybody. Do you know that them, them, them real bags for coal and that? I was a machinist. Well, Ireland, the machines in, in good bodies because there was, there was a 620 people working there. Making the, the, the jute, like, you know, making for the carpets, like, you know, the backs of the carpets. If you had... If you had 120 looms going and girls walking, the noise would be unbelievable. Yeah, the, the shuttles would be spinning up and down the machines all day long. Well, the women were great for reading the lips. You, you could have a woman over at that thing and she'd be... Moving her lips. Be, but the girl on the loom, maybe 20 feet away from her, I'd know what she was saying. They were so used to it, you know. The jobs weren't that great, but at least we were working anyway. It is my high honor and my great privilege to present to the good people of Fort Worth our able, our beloved, our fearless leader of the United States and all the free world, the President of the United States. In Texas, JFK is giving speeches and shaking hands. It's breakfast time there, and he gives the second last speech of his life in the parking lot of a Fort Worth hotel. I appreciate your being here this morning. I, Mrs. Kennedy is organizing herself. It takes longer. <laughs> but of course she looks better than we do when she does it. But we appreciate your welcome. In Ireland, at the same time, Patricia Moorhead was lying in bed feeling sorry for herself. She was in a maternity nursing home called the Stella Maris. Such nursing homes were alternatives to maternity hospitals and Patricia had booked in to have her second child there. The Stella Maris was run by the Gaffney sisters. They were wonderful people. Their mother and three sisters, Rogie and Mercy, they used to shout up and down the stairs. I was up in a bedroom way up and my husband Peter would be gone off down the country. He worked for Adlams at the time and he'd ring up every morning. And they would shout up the stairs, the conversation. Mr. Moorhead's on the phone. And they'd repeat everything he was saying. One twin would be at the top of the stairs saying, tell Mr. Moorhead, Mrs. Moorhead said she's very well. And then she, the other one shout another message up the stairs to me. <laughs> they were very kind to me. We're all in our own bedrooms. And they brought your meals into you. We're in bed all the time. You hardly ever get out of bed. Beautiful cold firelit every morning. Yep, in the room. And our breakfast would be carried in on a big tray. And I had this private nurse. She was real martinet. She didn't encourage visitors. She was very cross. 
and uh, you're always called mother. You know, mother, mother's not, mother needs to rest. Mother did need to rest that afternoon because on the day JFK was shot in 1963, Patricia had given birth to a baby girl. And uh, my, my gynaecologist was a famous doctor at the time, Dr Arthur Barry. And he came in to deliver Susan in his right... Uh, don't ask me why. He was in a complete riding outfit and jodhpurs. I think he used to ride a horse. And he came in in a riding outfit, jodhpurs and the whole works. Susan was born in the morning, I think about 2 a.m. on the morning of the 22nd of November. Desmond Donovan was the doctor who came in to examine Susan at 6 o'clock in the morning and said, this, I have to take this child now immediately into Temple Street to have her blood changed. And my husband... Peter arrived in about 10 minutes later, luckily, and a nurse sat in the back of the doctor's car and he had, they headed off in and Peter followed them. And then he came back to see me and said, she's absolutely gorgeous and she's bright yellow because she had jaundice, you see. She looks as if she's been on... In Spain. Was, we wouldn't have been going to Spain in those days. We didn't do that kind of thing. He went off then. He had to go off down the country I was very sad and they would bring other people's babies into my room. The ner- the Gaffney sisters were really kind and they would come in and say, we're really busy. And they'd bring it. Can we bring in Mrs. Murphy's baby? And I'd say, oh, yeah. And they'd bring in a baby and change it and b- wash it and feed it and do it in front of me and then go off out of the room again. <laughs> and would they leave the baby with you? Too? No, no, no. Oh, God, no, 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 no. They just bring a baby in. They were trying to sort of cheer me up, I think. The presidential motorcade will travel slowly through downtown Dallas to enable as many people as possible to see the president. Late afternoon in Ireland, late morning in Texas. There the rain had cleared and the sun was out. The president's limousine has a plastic bubble roof. If the weather is good, the president will ride with the top down. In Ireland at the same time, it was already dark and most people had finished work and school. I was doing my homework in Island McGee, County Antrim, yes. I was doing my homework at the table, I remember as well. I can see the tablecloth still, it was a green tablecloth, and I was doing my homework. No, no, not oilcloth. So fashionable now. Yes, a navy sort of uh, pinafore with a V, and a white blouse and a navy and red striped, uh, and a belt, a belt round it, yeah. My father died when I was quite young, so it was just my mother and a younger brother. He was probably upstairs playing with someone. And I remember the fire was lit in the dining room and mummy would have been sitting behind me. And yes, and, uh, Dinner would have been a, you know, meat and two veg probably in those days. Maybe stew sometimes, maybe soup. No pasta, no, no Chinese carryouts, no nothing like that. There were 12 of us in our family. Now, we all had our own duties around the house. We were probably polishing shoes or ironing, washing clothes, making beds, whatever. And uh, Dad was outside farming. I think Mum was making bread and I was probably helping her or a hindrance to her, (laughs) whichever. She surely had her kitchen bib on her, as we used to call it. (laughs) The one you tie around from back to front. They were blue in colour. All on a Friday, you do the shopping and then clean up the house. Scrubbing floors, down on your knees. No wonder all our knees are gone. <laughs> There's a woman across the, the road died at the same time, believe it or not. That's why I always remember one of our neighbours died. 
We just heard she was dead and it came on the wireless. We had the television then, of course. I think the person that died across the road brought the people out more than President Kennedy. Mrs. Kennedy seated on the back seat, Governor and Mrs. Connolly on the second seats or jump seats, and then the official driver and secret service men are in the front seat. It's now noon in Texas, tea time in Ireland. JFK was taking his last journey, touring the streets of Dallas slowly so the crowds could get a good look at himself and Jackie. A flying wedge of some one dozen Dallas police motorcycles leading the way and the pace is picking up as they head for the departure gate and the trip downtown to the... In Ireland, the cinemas were showing breakfast at Tiffany's. And for some, the weekend had already begun. Oh yeah, we went to the films every week, maybe twice a week. Lana Turner, Ava Gardner... Stuart Granger. Well, it was new style every week, nearly. My mother used to make up dresses for us. So we just buy the material, maybe, in clearies, or, and you'd have your, your skirt made up. They were big skirts and tight bodies, cardigans. I mostly wore green and there would have been lovely paisley patterns. Sometimes to be four girls together. Girls They'd be like a story by lesbians going along. Some visitor asked us that. We just link and go along. We never knew anything about it. <laughs> and then if you got a date, well, you'd meet in town, usually at Nelson Pillar, and uh, go to the cinema. Maybe hold hands. Maybe get a little kiss, but that would be it. A love seat? Did what? you get the love seat? Do they have the... No, well, we never went for the Yes, there were love seats at the back, <laughs> and you couldn't be seen going into those. So that would be it. Why Maybe go in for a cup of coffee. Cup of coffee and club milk. No drink. Club milk? Club milk, yes. Elsewhere in Dublin, Norman Niblock was finally getting to have a drink, not just because he'd finished work for the day, but because this was a red-letter day for his family, which had begun with a call from a hospital. You'd be very pleased to hear that your, your wife has given birth to a, a, a daughter. And I said, OK, I'll be in right away. And I rang my father and in we went in the one car. But Dublin was a very much poorer city in those days. There was a lot of unemployment, as I remember, yeah. I remember the cars, many of them were decrepit. People couldn't afford to mend them. Some awful bangers, dreadful bangers, which you wouldn't get today. My father had a Rover 75. It was a big chromium-plated headlight, so I remember that. And uh, we went in, and here she was. My dear wife was sitting up in bed with this little rosebud called Sharon Mary. One of the things I remember very well was we were the first batch of husbands who were brought in to understand what went on when the the technicalities of birth came through. And the sister in the rotunda said, well now, gentlemen, you can ask any questions you like. And the questions were very hesitant first. The first time it was ever done. 
Now you can go in and watch the birth. But uh, we were given a lecture and drawings of how it was done and everything, films. So it was very new for us, but some of them were very embarrassed. No uh, details spared. And we were asked, have you any questions, gentlemen? And nobody answered. And then the, the questions came in a torrent. Most of the, the fathers wanted to know what came out first, feet, feet or head. And we were told normal birth is head first. The crown of the head comes out and the suction, the certain amount of suction. A couple of the fathers, <laughs> you could see them getting a bit green. But we were the first, we were the very, very first group of fathers who were, were brought in to be enlightened, shall I say. But uh, oh, we were very excited, our first child, you know. Through Dallas. From the airport, the presidential motorcade will proceed to Mockingbird Lane, then to Lemon and on to Turtle Creek, turning south to Cedar Springs. The cars will then drive downtown via Harwood, west on Main, turning back to Elm at Houston and out now turning off to Elm Street, and it will be only a matter of minutes before he arrives at the trademark. I was on Simmons Freeway earlier, and even the freeway was jam packed with the assassin fires. To see the president as he made his way towards the trademark. Lee Harvey Oswald shoots John F. Kennedy in the head. It appears as though something has happened in the motorcade route. Something, I repeat, has happened in the motorcade route. It's half past noon in Dallas, half past six in the evening in Ireland. There's numerous people running up the hill alongside Elm Street, there by the Simmons Freeway. Several police officers are rushing up the hill at this time. Stand by just a moment, please. Something has happened in the motorcade route. Stand by, please. Parkland Hospital, there has been a shooting. Parkland Hospital has been advised to stand by for us. We do not and cannot confirm the reports at this time that the president has been shot. One witness says he definitely was shot, that he was hit twice, that he saw the president slump in his seat. The president was taken in uh, a few minutes ago, lifted from the car, uh, placed on a stretcher. He was motionless. The first lady leaned over him, crying. Women here in shock, some fainted. Grown men, Secret Service men standing by the emergency room, tears streaming down their face. There's only one word to describe the picture here, and that's grief, and much of it. It's official. As of just a few moments ago, the President of the United States is dead. One p.m. in Texas, John F. Kennedy is declared dead at Parkland Memorial Hospital. It's seven p.m. in Dublin, and Patricia Moorehead's baby girl is in Temple Street Children's Hospital. She was born earlier in the day and needs a blood transfusion, but Patricia wasn't there. She was across the city in a nursing home, anxiously awaiting news of the baby, when her sister burst into her bedroom. Completely unable to speak, just tears pouring down her face in hysterics, flung herself on my bed, flung her arms around me, and I thought, obviously, the baby had died. And Peter was down the country, hadn't got back to Dublin, and they sent my sister in to tell me the terrible news. So when she actually said, eventually she managed to say President Kennedy, for a second I was thinking, oh, thank God, oh, it's not the baby. And then, oh, my God, it's President Kennedy. You know, it was such a shock. Any adult knew exactly where they were and what they were doing when they heard the news. I'm going to get upset now that President Kennedy had been shot. It was 
absolutely gobsmacking. New Slashcom was on. Charles Mitchell said President Kennedy has been shot in Dallas. We go to the streets of Dublin where John Bowman recorded these remarks. And put on the wireless. And I couldn't believe it. I could hardly get my tea down. But I don't think it's very nice of them to do it. Just saying, I think it's a desperate tragedy though. I was on the underground train in London and uh, a coloured man got on and he announced in a loud voice that President Kennedy was shot and uh, there was everybody just looked at him you know is he mad or what's wrong <laughs> but um, it turned out to be true he was shot and the tube was packed people that time of the evening and you know there was absolutely dead silence after he announced it and I think everybody was in shock. Nobody spoke, you know, said anything. I think it's awful about President Kennedy being killed. Though I think he had great confidence in himself and in the whole world. But I think it's really awful. I was filling my petrol and a lady came out of the shop and she, she was crying. And I, I happened to say to her, What's wrong or what's after happening? And she said that the president was after being shot or assassinated. I didn't know who she was talking about because I just said, who? And she said, Kennedy. Oh, Jesus, I said. Kennedy was a man that was in everybody's home in the country and he had been in Ireland and everyone had Johnny F. JFK, as we call him, in their hearts. So... It was a shock. The radio had been on and this news flash came in. And that's when everything stopped. The assassin's rifle was like a camera. It flashed and captured a moment in Irish time. It snatched a date and colonised it for years. November 22nd, 1963. Even when the mighty internet came along, it's impossible to search for anything on that date without Oswald's deed shouldering every other digital memory out of the way. And yet, that date stamp was like a search engine of its time. Mention it, 22-11-1963, and you were rewarded with a richness of recollections. The taste of whole nut chocolate, the touch of a baby on the lap. The smell of plainer food. The sight of different clothes. A woman in a housecoat or bib in the kitchen. The sound of different music on medium wave. It was as if when he pulled the trigger, K-1 
Kennedy's killer stopped a slice of time and stored it in everyone's memory. Oswald froze a moment. Dad was outside farming. So one of us ran out to tell him that Mam was crying. There was terrible news on the radio. And um, he came in straight away and he was as shocked as Mam was, yeah. They had a great time for the men. And here in New York, New York so often bubbling with excitement and joy and pleasure. Here in New York, one has only to look along the streets to see how already it has hit the people of this big city. I was on the streets a few moments ago, and every here and there, groups around a transistor radio, and men and women weeping with the news coming over that radio that the president had died. York Street in Dublin was no different to New York when Radio Aaron's John Bowman went out to gather reactions to Kennedy's assassination, he found people in clusters there too. Well, what's your reaction to the news? He was so good. And he was, he, he was good for everyone. I went down even to College Green to see him and he was coming in here. I think it's shocking. Um, I could never get another man like him. Oh, I don't know, it's really awful to see him. He was at one of our own, we felt he was one of our own people. Oh, he was so good, and it was in his face what he was. But all I say is the Lord mercy on him. And when those people went home to bed, and when the day that had been November 22nd, 1963, ended in Ireland, they were left wondering if there'd ever be such a day of universal memories again. Now the prisoner uh, wearing a black sweater, he has changed from his T-shirt, is being uh, moved out toward an armored car, being let out by uh, Captain Fritz. There is the prisoner. Do you have anything to say in your defense? There is a shot. Oswald has been shot. Oswald has been shot. 